Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Later, when the anger of King Xerxes had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, Let a search be made for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful girls into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women, and let beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the girl who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiachin, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This girl was also known as Esther, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features, and Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many girls were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. The girl pleased him and won his favor. Immediately he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven maids selected from the king's palace and moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther did not reveal her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Before a girl's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would, go, she would go there and in the morning return to another part of the harem to the care of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. When the turn came for Esther, the girl Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abihail, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the tenth month, the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. These are the inerrant words of God. 
May all who hear them find a seat at the banquet of our Lord. Have you ever noticed how the world of dating has evolved? It used to be that a a nice guy would meet a nice girl at church, and if the two of them hit it off, then they would get married, probably at that same church. Of course, if none of the nice ones liked that guy, he could always go to the clubs or the bars and find a not-so-nice girl. Then came along the Internet, and with it, online dating. Websites like Match.com sprang up with their computer algorithms, supposedly finding the perfect match for the lonely heart. Yet as technology advanced and smartphones became the norm, dating apps such as Tinder appeared. There, one can superficially swipe right or left to find their perfect mate. Of course... Tinder didn't exist 2,500 years ago, so finding the perfect match was painstakingly difficult. The king of Persia did not have access to any algorithm. He couldn't swipe left or right. Instead, he would have to use a non-technological means to find himself a new queen. Now, if you recall from our last two sermons, King Xerxes had given this great banquet in order to convince the leaders and generals of his 127 provinces to go to war with Greece. And on the last day of the feast, in his drunkenness, Xerxes ordered Queen Vashti to be put on display before his nobles. And for whatever reason, Vashti refused the command, feeling the anger of the king. According to the laws of the land, the queen's disobedience was such a treacherous act that she was stripped of her crown and banished from ever seeing the king again. A new queen had to be found, a better queen. Well, three years had passed, and the search had not even yet begun. The writer of Esther doesn't really make much of this, though from the history books we we know why this was the case. Xerxes was away, fighting a war against Greece. Again, it is significant to notice what the author does and does not concern himself with. An epic war, noteworthy to historians throughout the world, and it doesn't even get a footnote in our story. It's irrelevant. Instead, the the author jumps forward to the the king's search for a new bride, as if no time had passed at all. And without dating apps available, without Tinder, a different approach was necessary. So beautiful young virgins from across the kingdom were, were brought to the citadel of Susa, each one becoming a part of the king's harem. Now, whether or not these women had a say in the matter, the text doesn't tell us. It could have been that in each province there were, there were young ladies lined up, hoping to be selected at just a chance at becoming the new queen. Perhaps 
these beautiful girls were, were found and taken from their families. And they had no say in the matter. We just don't know. And again, the, the author doesn't care to, to tell us one way or the other. His concern was that beautiful young virgins were selected to join the king's harem, particularly one who lived within the walls of Susa. Look at verse 5. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by, king, by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiachin, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features, and Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. We are finally introduced to, to two major players in our story, Mordecai and Hadassah. And the author, he has given us some pertinent details concerning these two. Let's begin with Mordecai. From verse 5, we discover that he is a Jew. So already there is significance in this fact, being that Esther was written to a Jewish audience. After reading so much about King Xerxes, this Gentile ruler, an introduction to a Jew would have been a welcome word. Here is a man that they can relate to, one of their own. And this Mordecai was of the tribe of Benjamin, the same tribe as King Saul, the first king of Israel. And the text says that Mordecai was the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish. Now, if you know anything about how the Jews trace their ancestry, you would know that often they would skip generations on their list, only to highlight those names of the people who were renowned. Now, it, it could have been that Kish was the actual name of Mordecai's great-grandfather. But it's just as likely that this Kish was a distant ancestor. The same Kish who was the father of King Saul. And as we progress further in our story, there is good reason to believe that this is the case. Yet that will be for another sermon. Next, we are introduced to Hadassah, the cousin of Mordecai. She is also an orphan. We're not told how Hadassah's parents died, but, but we do know that Mordecai took her in as his own daughter. Hadassah was also called by another name, a Persian name, Esther. Now, Esther has a double, if not triple, meaning. In the Persian language, it meant star. Yet Esther also served the Hebrew language to describe the Babylonian goddess Ishtar, the goddess of love. Most likely, the, the author is playing off this theme, demonstrating the, the unparalleled beauty of this Hadassah, for she was lovely in form and features. And interestingly, 
The, the name Esther also comes from the verbal root in Hebrew, which means to conceal. Jewish rabbis would later associate her name with God's hiddenness. Remember, Yahweh is neither mentioned by name nor by title throughout this whole book. But whatever the meaning behind the name, we see that Esther or Hadassah is the only character given two names in this story. In many ways, it it depicts for us a girl that that has dipped her feet in two different worlds. She has two identities. Hadassah, the Jewish orphan, and Esther, the beautiful woman of Susa. Verse 8. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many girls were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. The girl pleased him and won his favor. Immediately he provided her with her beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven maids selected from the king's palace and moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Now, there are some important things to pay attention to in this passage. First, in verse 8, we, we see the passive voice being used. Esther was, Esther was taken. Again, it is unclear whether or not Hadassah had any say in joining the king's harem. Yet we are led to believe that there is some sort of unseen force guiding her steps. Remember, being Jews, she and her cousin, they had the opportunity to settle back in Jerusalem. But they chose to stay in Susa. So the question comes to mind, how strong was her faith in God to begin with? Maybe a life in the king's harem excited Hadassah. Being a concubine and living a more luxurious lifestyle could have been enticing to her. Then again, she, she could have been a devout Jew. She could have been placed there against her will, caught up in circumstances that was beyond her control. We just don't know. And the author doesn't give any, any indication one way or the other. He cares less about how the journey is traveled and more about the destination. Hadassah needed to be a part of the harem. So to the harem, she went under the supervision of the eunuch Haggai. Yet notice what verse 9 says. The girl pleased him and won his favor. Won his favor. This is very reminiscent of another story, is it not? Think of Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers. And no matter what awful situation he found himself in, whether it be as as a slave or as a prisoner, he found favor with those who were over him. Listen to these words in Genesis 39, verses 2 through 4. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes 
and became his attendant. Again, a little later in that same chapter, halfway through verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Here we see the same Hebrew word for favor that is used in the book of Esther, the word chesed. The author is demonstrating to the reader as best he can without directly saying it that the Lord was with Hadassah. And because of that, she found favor with Haggai. Verses 10 and 11. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now here we see something interesting. Mordecai commands Esther to not reveal her ethnicity to anyone. Again, we don't know exactly why this is. Here are a few possibilities. One, maybe there were anti-Semitic feelings among the Persians. It could have been that if King Xerxes knew that Hadassah was a Jew, then she wouldn't have even been considered. Or perhaps even worse, if they had found out that she was a Jew, she might have been persecuted somehow. We can see that Mordecai was worried for for his cousin, for he walked by the courtyard every day trying to hear news of her. Of course, another possibility is that Hadassah may have jeopardized her chance of becoming queen if she had stuck to her Jewish dietary laws and observed the Sabbath. It may have been that the the women in the harem were, were asked to do things that were contrary to the laws of Moses. And Mordecai didn't want to want to have Hadassah blow her chance at becoming queen by devoutly following their Jewish traditions. Yet again, we're we're given little information by the author. We don't know the reason why Hadassah wanted to conceal her ethnicity, her Jewish identity. What was important was that she blended in and did not reveal that she was a Jew. Contrast this with, with the book of Daniel that we studied not too long ago. Daniel and his friends, they would not eat the king's food. They would not bow down to the king's idol. And Daniel, he would not give up his daily practice of bowing and praying towards Jerusalem. These men, they faced blazing furnaces and dens of lions. They were willing to sacrifice their own lives and their devotion to Yahweh. Yet Mordecai asked Hadassah to conceal her Jewish identity. And she obeyed. So for 12 months, she prepared herself through beauty treatments for one night with the king. Look at verse 15. When the turn came for Esther, the the girl Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abihel, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. 
She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the tenth month, the month of Tibet, in the seventh year of his reign. Three things to notice about these verses. First, once again, we see the passive voice being used. Hadassah was taken to King Xerxes. We don't know her thoughts or feelings about this. We're not sure if this was something she looked forward to or dreaded. Either way, it doesn't matter. Yet the use of the passive voice indicates that these events were out of her hands. There was a greater force at work here, guiding her steps. Second, we see that Hadassah follows the advice of the eunuch who was in charge of her. She only brought with her what Haggai had suggested. Just as she obeyed Mordecai's advice to conceal her identity, so also she listens to the eunuch in charge of her. She is not following her own will, but the will of those who oversee her. And finally, we see that she had won the favor of everyone who saw her. God was with her in this momentous event, even if he is not mentioned by name. What is the author doing here? By repeating these three things, the, the passive voice, the obedience of Esther, the fact that she found favor of those around her, the author is asking the reader to pay attention to three crucial details. First, the, the events that happen in life, while they, they may seem random, often they have a purpose that cannot be clearly seen this side of heaven. Proverbs 19, verse 21 says this, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God can use both the righteous and the unrighteous to carry out his will. And though God may seem distant and far off, he makes his presence felt in the everyday things of life, orchestrating events according to his providence. Second, when we consider Hadassah, we are not sure what to think. Was she really a faithful Jew? If she had caved to the pressures of Persian culture? Maybe she was taken to the harem by force, but maybe not. Marrying an uncircumcised man goes against the law of Moses. Shouldn't she have fought against that decision like Daniel and his friends fought? However, the author avoids any moral judgments along this line. Instead, he highlights the obedient spirit of this young lady. Hadassah is being specifically contrasted against Queen Vashti, that disobedient queen who refused the king's command. Hadassah was obedient to Mordecai, and she was obedient to Haggai. This is exactly what Xerxes was looking for in the new queen, a submissive spirit. And finally, we see that God was with Hadassah. 
there were many beautiful women in the harem. And there were probably more than a few with obedient spirits. Yet Hadassah is the only one who won the favor of those around her. And it was for a reason that is not explicitly expressed. God was with her. In many ways, Hadassah is a forerunner to our Lord. Just as Vashti could be compared to Adam, the one who disobeyed the king of the universe, so now Hadassah gives us a glimpse of the new Adam, Jesus, the Son of God. Let's work through these three traits backwards to to see this. Luke chapter 2, verse 52. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. God the Father was with Jesus, and his favor was upon him. John 5, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Christ fell under the headship of the Father. He had an obedient spirit. And finally, Matthew 26, verse 39. Going a little farther, he, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Just as the events that settled Hadassah's fate, just as they seemed like they came from the will of men, men such as Xerxes and Mordecai and Haggai, so too the crucifixion of our Lord seemed to come from the will of men. I mean, it was Judas, after all, who betrayed Jesus. And it was the Jewish leaders who arrested him. It was Pilate who put him on trial. And it was the crowds who shouted with all their might to release Barabbas. And it was Roman soldiers who nailed our Lord to the cross. Yet there was a greater unseen hand involved in all of these events. It was God's will for his son to die for the sins of men. This was God's plan of salvation and no one else's. This was his plan of salvation for you as well. Do you have repentant faith in Jesus, that obedient man, the one who who won God's favor, the one who, who gave himself over to the Father's will, In God's providence, your sins were nailed upon that cross. Turn from your transgressions and trust in Jesus. Let's look at our final two verses from Esther. Esther 2, verses 17 and 18. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women 
And she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Ashti. And the king gave a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. Hadassah found favor from the one man who was most important, King Xerxes. And the crown was placed upon her head. In order to save her people, Hadassah, the orphan Jew, had to become Esther, the Persian queen. In order to save his people, God, the king of the universe, had to become Jesus, a Jewish peasant. Another domino had fallen, and God's plan of salvation was in place. Well before the enemy's plan of destruction had even been thought up. The victorious outcome was already known in the heavens, even though the players had yet to take the field. And victory is a cause for celebration. The king gave another banquet, this time for his new queen. Rejoicing commenced throughout the land. It was a holiday for all. For Hadassah had become Queen Esther. And Israel's salvation sat upon the throne. Yet God's plan of deliverance for the Jews, it it transcends ethnic boundaries. People from all ethnicities could rejoice at the good news from the king. For though salvation comes from the Jews... It is for every tribe and tongue. God's plan of salvation has come to you as well. Christ sits upon his throne. A banquet has been prepared in the heavens for you. The question is, will you celebrate? Let us pray. Father, We thank you for your word. It directs our focus upon your son who went to the cross for our sins. Guide us now by your Holy Spirit. May we live in in the truth and righteousness that, that only comes from you. We pray this in Jesus' name.